0: The problem really is that people not only have a hard time trusting children, but they also have a hard time being in partnership with children. We don't really know what, egalitarian relationships look like we need a person to be in charge and a person to be subordinate and that's kind of the structure that we're look that we're used to and breaking out of that is so difficult I find that inside of community organizations as well like folks are like waiting around for the leader to tell them what to do a lot of times <laughs> but also inside of families like we don't know how to come together and make decisions collectively like it's okay for like there to be somebody that like helps you be accountable but we don't need someone to tell us what to do all the time and and because we've been told what to do all our lives we don't know how to function without that and we can't imagine that anyone can function without that so we can't imagine that our children can function without that Ah!
1: (laughs) fair of the free child is a bi-weekly podcast that aims to centralize black and brown people's voices and experiences in discussions about unconventional parenting with a particular interest in the self-directed education, aka unschooling movement, Akila S. Richards and special guest co-hosts will discuss the fears and the fares of raising liberated children of color in a world that tends to diminish, dehumanize, and disappear them. Using storytelling, interviews, commentary, and open conversation, Fair of the Free Child will explore the radical idea that people of color and the children they love can simply be themselves together. Yes, welcome, welcome, welcome to episode one of Fear of the Free Child. I am Akila, and that was my firstborn daughter, Marley, giving you the scoop on what I aim to explore and to solve in this space. Keep on listening to future episodes because I'm going to deep dive into self-directed education in all forms. So unschooling, world schooling, free schools, community learning spaces, all of that, all of that. But in this first episode, I think it makes more sense for me to start with the basics and to also start with what I'm most familiar with, which is unschooling. I find that because I've been doing this for a few years, a little over five years, and I'm so immersed in the space in terms of being around people online and sometimes in person who are also immersed in the space, that I tend to forget that for a lot of us, this is brand new. A lot of us have not been exposed to alternative learning options outside of homeschooling. And so I want to make this as exploratory and as 101, in a sense, if I could borrow a schooly term. <laughs> to make it as kind of starter as possible so that I can get some basic questions answered around what unschooling is and how it shows up for some people. Because as you'll learn over listening to me over time and to the people that I bring into this space, unschooling can look like different things for different people. But I'm going to give you a few examples in this episode, both from my life and also my special co-facilitator. So this episode, my co-facilitator is Atlanta-based activist, community organizer, and longtime unschooling mama and the homie, Tamika Middleton, who you heard at the beginning of this episode, by the way. Tamika addressed the fear of children leading themselves, which is precisely what unschooling addresses and over time resolves. So as with every episode of Fear of the Free Child, we're going to start with a fear and then we address the fear, F-A-R-E, see what I did there? Ha <laughs> ha, the cost of that fear. So we address the fear and then we talk about what it cost us and what it cost our children when we don't push back against that fear. And then we talk about what we can do to minimize that fear. So that's the format, that's the flow, that's the focus. And the way that I see it, the fear we pay when we allow the fear of a non-leader-centered approach to learning to stop us from exploring other options is this.
0: One, people navigating inside of the options that they know exist. Another thing is people not feeling like they have the capacity. We've been taught and trained so much to, um, to rely on This system to validate us and to tell us whether we are worthy and good enough. That when we when we don't have that kind of validation, we don't feel like we can do it. We don't feel like we can educate our own children. We don't feel like we can create learning spaces. And I'm like, you you got. We're all in the world. We know all kinds of people. I'm like, if I don't know something, somebody that I know knows it. (laughs) If I can't get the information (laughs) for my kid, somebody that I know in the world can get the information for me. Or the internet. Like we have access to the internet. We can get any information we want.
1: Tamika and her family have been such an inspiration to me. Let me tell you, just as a person, as an unschooler, as a black unschooler, as a feminist, and as a woman of color who really prioritizes the liberation of our people. And Tamika and I share the philosophy that self-directed learner-centered education is one way to do something about the type of oppression and domination that Black people and other people of color face through the effects of systemic racism, particularly inside the school system, which most of us end up going through. So Tamika and her husband and their two children, Amani, who's nine, and Asha, who's three, technically, I think she's about 103, but technically Asha's three. (laughs) Tamika's going to really just give us some of their experiences through her lens. So let me introduce you to Tamika Middleton by way of a peek into her background, a little bit around how she came up.
0: I grew up, uh, and my family is from the South Carolina Sea Islands. We are Gullah Geechee folks. And for me, the kind of cultural, the reason why that cultural relevance is so important to me is that there was always this kind of community connectedness, not just to each other, but also to our history, and also a very real connection, understanding of legacy of slavery. Of you know cultural retentions from Africa, from West Africa. I remember being in elementary school and having uh, folks from Sierra Leone come over and talk about the the connections between Sierra Leone and my community in South Carolina. And so I've, there's always been this this kind of ever present like understanding and pride of blackness. And then I, I, you know always doing community work in south carolina always in my life being involved in community efforts
1: you'll hear from tamika throughout this episode and i'll give you some resources including ways to connect with her and with me online toward the end of this episode all right now let's cover the basics what is unschooling unschooling is both a learning centered and learner centered way of living with children As unschoolers, we don't see school as the primary place to learn and everywhere else as places to take breaks from learning. So we don't suffer from summer learning loss and those types of ideas. We basically use all the resources available to explore and to build upon, yeah, to explore and to build upon anything of interest to us. So plenty of my time, for example, and my husband, his name is Chris, plenty of my time and Chris's time is spent observing what our girls are really into and then helping them to find resources to go deeper into whatever those things are, whatever those interests are. So sometimes it's just listening. Like when they, for example, Sage, our youngest, she's 10, she found a language partner online. She's really into language acquisition, which is great. She found a partner online who lives in Finland and wants to learn English in exchange for teaching Finnish. So (laughs) she was really excited about that. And she wanted to tell us all about their first session. So we just listened. And we also we asked questions, and she didn't need our help at all. So there was in this case, there was nothing for us to facilitate. Our only job is to check in for the safety component. You know, she's online. So I'm looking in on the chat in occasion to make sure that Uh, And hitting the translate button because I don't know what they're saying, but I hit the translate buttons on that chat to make sure that, you know, the person isn't asking her anything that I wouldn't feel comfortable with. And um, and I've never found that to be the case. And she has several language partners, by the way. But if I did find that to be the case or if Chris found that to be the case. Then it would be an opportunity for us to help her see what to look out for, not to shut her out of all chat rooms forever, but to help her to understand what to look out for in that situation. So in that situation, our job was just to listen to her, you know, to share her enthusiasm for what she had found all on her own, to help her, um, to help her be safe and to stay safe in that space. And then our other job was basically just to keep paying for internet access, right? So she could continue her self-directed studies. And in that space, we also get to offer her guidance on life skills like discernment, because ultimately, as unschoolers, that's the only teaching, and I'm using air quotes, that's the only teaching that we do. We help our daughters to understand and practice discernment as they discover themselves and as they develop themselves. So our jobs are not to teach them anything at all. We're not their teachers. We are facilitators. We are support system. We are partners. We partner with them as they explore and express and discover who they are and how they want to show up in the world. So we talk a lot about safety, especially because they're online a lot, like not giving anyone online your personal details outside of your email address and your Skype handle because they do a lot of Skype meetups, a lot of group chats with people all over so that they can learn more and share what they're learning as well. And they also get help from their homies too, like Marley, um, who's 12, she is a, a voice actor, and she showed me a chat that someone invited her to and in that chat it was a group of young people who were also were auditioning for uh voice acting gigs online just like Marley does all the time. And they had created a list of usernames and tags about people who were posing as people who had voice acting jobs to hire people for, but were really asking for like nude photos or some shit like that. So they created, someone created the group and because they know that Marley auditions all the time, then they added her to the group. And then she showed it to me and Chris and said, Hey, look what's happening here. And she felt like it was silly that people would, you know, send nude pictures but we felt really good that there was a community around that interest that was willing to share what they were learning, call those people out, and then invite Marley in to be a part of that. And so we get to observe that and support and that sort of thing. So, yeah, so that, that's kind of an example of of what it looks like, what an unschooling space might look like or what what an unschooling child might be into and how a parent facilitates that space for them. And I think one of the most widely understood ways of explaining it, if I can go further into giving you some clarity on what unschooling is, is that children who are unschooling, they learn pretty much the same way that adults would learn out of a sense of curiosity and necessity. So I was talking with someone the other day and she's actually going to be one of my co facilitators on a future episode. And, you know, we were talking about how we learn as adults. So for example, when I wanted to learn WordPress and basic web design, I started a blog. My blog gained some traction. I wanted to build a better blog. I wanted to take it off a blogger and put it on WordPress. Didn't know anything about WordPress. And even though Chris is a graphics and web design guy, he wasn't going to be able to address like every single change that I had or every single idea that I wanted to test out on my blog. So I went online. I found YouTube tutorials, I tested shit out, I made mistakes, I talked to people, I talked to Chris, I took webinars, I figured it out. And because it was something that was a priority for me, I didn't have to force myself to figure it out. I was curious. And and I the more I went in, the more curious I became. And then I felt more equipped to ask better questions, to, to fail forward and fail faster. And they do basically the same thing. So I went to school, grade school and college, but nothing there would have prepared me for my particular interest in WordPress. I, w- I graduated college in 2000. I don't even know if WordPress was around back then, but I didn't know anything about it and I wouldn't have been taking any classes on it. So today, in many cases, that's what a lot of children face. So much of what our children learn in school will be outdated and hella irrelevant by the time they become adults. Not to mention that so much of what's taught in schools is mandated by the state without much input from teachers. And it also stops teachers, I know many teachers, from using these adaptive methods to actually facilitate learning. They basically teach to tests and their hands are tied and they're just as frustrated as their students in the classrooms. Now, to be clear... My family is not anti-school. We're pro-learning. And for our daughters, like many children, school was not an enhancement to their learning journey. It was a limitation because it put these boundaries and segmented blocks of time around their ability to explore things and to process the information that they'd gathered right? So it limited their resources to the person assigned to teaching them who may or may not know anything about the things that our daughters developed interest in. And on top of that, school gives you a lot of busy work. Don't front, you know that school gives you a lot of busy work, but it calls it necessary. Whereas most of us as adults know good and well, that so much of what we were forced to learn in school is not what we use to build our lives and to thrive today. In this space, I want to make it clear that I believe that people should be able to create and participate in, children in particular, should be able to participate in their own learning journeys and not have that mandated by anybody and for damn sure not the state who will probably not know shit about your child or your interest or your culture. All that to say that unschooling is essentially about relevant, highly customized completely natural learning experiences that are just a part of everyday living. So much like we as adults, when we start a new project, whether it's at home or at our jobs, we have to be resourceful, right? We use the resources around us, the books, the people, the the web-based resources, whatever it is that we need to get an understanding of what this project is going to call for and how we in particular need to approach it in order to maximize the chances of getting the result that we want. Unschoolers take the exact same approach. So something feels relevant in their life, whether for personal reasons or to make money or to be a part of something, and they go down a path to become more versed at that thing. And children do that just as adults do because that's not an adult thing. That's a human thing. Children in particular are extremely curious beings and they go after what they want to know. So when I hear people say things like, um, like when I was on the Steve Harvey show and the, the woman, um, who I believe she had four daughters or five daughters. And she said that her daughters aren't interested in anything and that she would have to force them to learn anything. And I've heard that sentiment from other parents as well. And, um, I don't know her daughters, but I know human beings. And I just feel like that's not true. We just, she just hadn't had the opportunity to observe her children enough to see what it is that they're into and to see how she can help them to go down that path. And that's not completely her fault, right? If you're at work or if your children are away from you, oftentimes, you know, Tamika and I were talking about this too. She had a similar experience just being around so many parents who are saying that their children aren't interested in anything at all. The majority of the time, that's not true. It's either uh, you don't know what the interests are or you don't see their interest as something that's valuable. You see it as something that is silly or childish because in our limited perspective, like video games, that's one that um unschoolers get a big fight about. It's like, what are you going to do with your life if you're playing a video game all day? Uh Talk to these gamers who are balling out of control because they understand that industry. They understand that world. And they also understand. And there have been so many studies around what gamers understand and how those skills apply to real world, real life situations, you know, not just gaming. So do your own research on that. And see what you come up with. But I, I want, I want us to really consider that our scope is limited. We know what we know, but there's a whole world of information out there. And when you focus on facilitating learning instead of teaching, you know, in t- instead of imparting information, then you really open a child up to so many opportunities, far more amazing than anything that we can ever think of in our limited scope. Okay. Babies do it too. If you think about it, this this curious way of being, children in particular being so curious, try to get a baby not to crawl towards the shiny thing or the noisy thing. You're going to get a fight, right? Try to get a toddler to stop looking at something that piques their interest. You're going to get a fight because as human beings from infancy, we're curious and we want to engage in things around us. And quite naturally, we're going to learn about the things that we're curious about. And in the process, we're going to learn about other things that we might not have even known existed or that are connected to the original thing that caught our attention. So my very first statement was that unschooling is learning-centered and learner-centered. And when I say learning-centered, I mean that it focuses on how Each child learns instead of what to teach children or instead of what adults believe children should be learning. It looks at a child's approach to the world through her interactions with the people in her life and also through her interactions with things, toys, animals, TV, radio, the computer, a phone, all of that. So because unschooling is learning centered, parents spend a lot of time just observing their child and really getting to understand how they navigate the world around them and how they tend to approach things. Which leads to the other thing that unschooling is. So first I said that it's learning centered, but it's also learner centered. And in learner centered, I mean that all these observations help unschooling parents to partner with their child instead of deciding for their child what learning will look like. So it's learner-centered because all that observation is what helps parents to facilitate learning by offering resources for their child to pursue their interest and to follow their curiosity without the restrictions of time limitation, again, the way school blocks off learning by subject matter in one-hour segments of time. So let me give you an example by way of an essay that I wrote about unschooling, about my unschooling family in particular, back in October of 2015 i stood up to walk away from the makeshift office space in my bedroom it was time for a well-earned break from work i'd been editing a client's website copy all morning and my eyes were beginning to blur words in protest as i walked towards the kitchen i felt my mouth widen to a smile as i heard my daughters giggling in the sunroom their makeshift office space They were both lying on their bellies, with their long brown legs stretched along the carpeted floor, and their energies deep in research and conversation. Marley, who was 11 at the time, and Sage, who was 9 at the time, were happily engaged in their studies, flanked by their usual tools—a laptop, an iPad, two notebooks, several sheets of paper— empty mugs formerly filled with mint tea, and a copy of The Last Olympian, the final book in Rick Riordan's wildly popular Percy Jackson series. This, like many of their projects, came from a simple, single desire. In this instance, Sage decided she wanted to rewrite some of the scenes from that particular book, as well as introduce some new characters to the storyline. Her big sister Marley was serving as Sage's hired editor, focusing on grammar and flow in efforts to turn Sage's drafts into fully formed stories about the original characters, called OCs, they planned on bringing into Percy Jackson's life. In My Daughter's Worlds, research and character development for OCs in various literary genres is a serious undertaking. They use the internet and local libraries to research historical, cultural, economic, linguistic, and artistic aspects of their characters so that they can create detailed backstories for their readers. Their processes require research, advanced comprehension, some degree of planning, and a writing-rewriting process that looks similar to mine as a professional writer. Many people find it surprising that none of what our girls do daily is part of a mandatory assignment from school or from their dad and me. Instead, their projects are self-initiated and self-sustained. They get ideas, they set goals and timelines, they schedule meetings with other people of various ages all over the world via web chats and phone calls and sometimes in-person meetups. They do these things as a way of immersing themselves in their interest and as a way of creating community to facilitate learning, socialization, friendly competition at times, and of course, fun. They are unschoolers, part of a long-time movement away from schedules in schools over to self-guided exploration of life and learning. As an unschooling family, we believe that school is one example of how a healthy childhood can be spent But there are other options, and contrary to popular belief, children can and will still learn, engage, socialize, and be challenged while preparing for adulthood through various non-school experiences. So for clarity's sake, since I really want to give you an understanding of what unschooling is, our children are not in school and they are not homeschooled. This means there's no curriculum that gauges our daughter's progress or aptitude in specific topics. We don't test, we don't compare, we don't set a standard based on a predefined idea of what they should be learning by age or stage or any of that. And that's really hard for a lot of people to understand, and I completely get why. Since most of us were brought up to believe that compulsory education is the path to achieving the goals of financial success and responsible adulthood, we've learned to rely on the school system to arm us with the skills to attain these goals. When teachers and students are removed from a child's learning environment, adults get scared, in large part because we're not familiar with any other models for being with children and helping to facilitate learning. But not all schooled children grow up to become successful, responsible adults. And in many cases, children are unhappy or uncomfortable in their school settings because they don't learn the way other children learn or because they have unaddressed personal circumstances that stop them from focusing on learning. Or because we as people of color have been in and are still in very different circumstances than the people in power, so we need very different things in order to navigate ourselves inside the system so that we can learn how to thrive
0: there is no equal education in this country for black folks we do not have equal access to education opportunity so I think that's one major thing but I also think that when we talk about the ways that black folks have educated or have learned in the past in our history in our you know in our in our learning tradition so to speak there's been so many different things and so many different forms that that has taken in moments when we did not have access to educational equity we created other ways for ourselves to learn so we think about like the midnight schools that folks put on that were very very loose and we were like let's get together as a community what do we want to talk about what do we want to learn what do we want to do and and it was very much like self and community directed it was not based on some curriculum that was mandated by the state <laughs> that said these are the things that you have to learn they were learning together collectively the things that were important for their for their collective survival
1: And even with these statistics and real-life experiences of schools failing boys of color and mislabeling girls of color and being underfunded solely because they're in low socioeconomic areas, many adults are still really uncomfortable with alternative learning options, basically anything that doesn't include school. And that's because the alternative education movement is plagued with a lot of misconceptions about how non-schooling parents facilitate learning and prepare children to thrive in adulthood. So I want to bring some reality and some clarity into the space so that anybody who's curious about unschooling or any other alternative method to school can get a perspective that's rooted in truth and not misconception. So listen in as Tamika talks about her perspectives here. And her perspectives are particularly important because she sees unschooling as a philosophy that has actionable steps that we can apply to live free and to show what freedom can look like. So here's a little bit more about Tamika's journey pre-children, specifically her moving from South Carolina to New Orleans for college. So you can get some perspective on how her background as an activist and organizer helped to inform her lens as a mother.
0: Got into college. And had some other experiences, studied abroad in West Africa, in uh, Cameroon specifically. Started to really kind of get more political and how that and what that community work looked like, and became involved in work around abolishing the prison industrial complex, and really started to sink into that Black radical tradition. And had a lot of my elders. Who were training me on how to do community organizing and training me on what the prison industrial complex looked like um, were folks who were um, SNCC elders and folks who were from the Panther Party, um, the the New Orleans Panther Party, and the Desire, like folks who lived through that, folks who taught at the Panther School and did the breakfast program in Oakland. Um, One of my elders was one of the Angola Three who started the, um, uh, the Black Panther Party in Louisiana State Prison in Angola. So these are like the folks who taught me about organizing, about our community, about how to get involved, and so I've always I've kind of taken that with me and always felt very connected to the black radical tradition generally, but specifically the black radical tradition in the southern United States. Doing work around that for the past like 15 years now, maybe like doing community, community organizing and social movements for about 15 years now.
1: Now. All black folks and all people of color are not a hive mind. So that's one lens that that Tamika just explained. That's one lens through which a person of color came to understand the importance of liberation and living in ways that push back against the injustices that black and brown people face while figuring out how not to make life Just about pushing back, but also about thriving, also about joy, also about relying less on the system and more on the creation and sustaining of communities where marginalized people can thrive, where we can center ourselves. For us, part of how we do that is through volunteerism and also by doing everything we can to unshackle our children from these systems that either leave us out completely or harm us intentionally. And I'll go out on a limb here and say that most unschooling parents, regardless of race, will tell you that we're learning how to stop paying the fare and playing into the fear that our children will not thrive if we don't force them to do shit. Now, of course, as people of color, we have a different focal point. We have different challenges. We're in a different space. But I think across the board, especially if you came out of a schooled system, especially if you you did go to school as a parent, for many of us we face so many concerns about whether or not our children will learn not all. I remember when I first got into unschooling and I was in a lot of these uh Facebook groups and there were very few if any other people of color and the perspective <laughs> this is this could be its own damn episode. Uh, people were not very welcoming. People treated me like, you know, I was some idiot because I was scared about my daughter not understanding math if I didn't teach it to her or if her dad didn't teach it to her. And that's a part of why I'm doing this now. If you are curious about alternative learning, I want you to be connecting with me, emailing me, listening to the podcast and sending me questions from exactly where you are, not where somebody tells you you should be or whatever you're reading telling, tells you that you should understand, but from exactly wherever the hell you are. And five years ago, When I first started, I was absolutely afraid of my daughters not understanding certain things if it wasn't being taught to them. And every once in a while, certain fears still come up for me. So Tamika's going to talk a little bit about that experience for her and how it is proven to her over and over again that those fears are just that. They are fears. They're not realities. They're not true oftentimes. They just are kind of like baggage that we carry over from our schooled ways.
0: I know. I find sometimes that I have to check myself still. And, you know, we my son's nine. We've been unschooled his whole life. <laughs> and I still... Know, as, as he gets old, like still have to find myself checking myself. Like you know what, you don't have to like tell him that it's important to learn X Y Z thing. Because because it's important to you to learn that thing. But when it's important to him, he'll do it. And he and he's always proven that to me. He's always shown me like when he was like, you know what, I really want to read because. I really need to know what these video games are saying without having to call mom from the other room every time or without like having to wait on mom. Sometimes I don't want to hear her read the things I want to be able to do it myself. And so he taught himself how to read. (laughs) And that was it.
1: Wonderful, right? And I know for some of you listening, it sounds amazing. Like Amani is this miracle kid. He is pretty amazing. I can't even front. But (laughs) for many of us unschoolers, this is absolutely the norm. This autodidactic way, this self-guided, self-taught way is very much the norm. And I remember when I was on the Steve Harvey show and the only other unschooling parent on that panel, Bethany Garcia is her name. She said that her five-year-old didn't read. And I remember how the audience and most of the other panelists, they flipped out. They acted like she said her daughter was eating rats or some shit. Like they just, they it, it made no sense because we are so trained to believe that things need to happen in a particular order and that all children should be on a specific path. That we can't even fathom that a child can, and I would argue should, learn a lot of things on their own time, and that we as adults should be their partners, not their enforcers. I'm an example of that. My mother told me the story, and she tells it so many times, about how I taught myself to read at around age two because I was one of the only children around. And my cousin who lived next door, Earl is older than me. And everyone so that was the only other kid, quote unquote, but everybody else around me was reading. So they guess because nobody can say specifically how I learned to read. But they guess because I saw people around me reading, I felt like I could do it too. So my grandfather would have the newspaper, or my mother would have the newspaper. And I, I just learned how to read right? So I asked to go to school. And at age two, they sent me because I felt ready. I went to what's called a basic school back in Jamaica. And they said, I enjoyed it. And I have really great memories. I remember my teacher, her name was Miss Neil. (laughs) And but for my mom, even back then in 1979, 1980, when I was two, they trusted that I was ready when I said I was ready. And I thrived in that space because I was doing it based on my own interests and my own curiosities. Now, I'm not saying, I don't want y'all to be thinking that, I'm saying, or Tamika is saying, that unschooling is the cure for everything, and those of us who do it have shit all figured out, and that it's the truth in the way. That's not what I'm trying to convey here at all. So let me share a little bit of a conversation that Tamika and I had about the type of things we wrestle with as we continue our process of learning how to be good partners for the children in our lives. So let's pick back up where Tamika told us how Amani taught himself to read. I said to her that it sounded pretty miraculous or that it would sound pretty miraculous to a lot of people, and then I gave my opinion on why that is, and then we dive into some of the challenges that come with unschooling because I want to give you some honest perspectives here once again on how some of us experience this process, and for those of you who are unschoolers or homeschoolers, you'll probably be able to relate. For Exactly the reason that you said that we do not understand how to be without someone telling us what to do. We don't Mm -hmm. understand how to be without someone telling us what to do. And so like personal leadership, which is what one of the primary things for me that self-directed education, unschooling, you know, all the other terminologies for it. That's what it helps to nurture. And that is what I think is so vital for black people in particular, like confident autonomy is the term that always comes up in my head to be able to say when I need it, I am capable and I've proven it to myself over and over again that I have the capacity to do that. It's the same thing with the girls. And I definitely have to check myself. You will start out a certain way, like you'll approach something a certain way, obviously from a space of love, but also from um, very much that like I'm telling you what to do because I think it's best for you sort of way or I'm making a suggestion, air quote, when it really is like I'm hoping that you take my suggestion, like low key coercion, (laughs) you know, like you already addressed where that comes from. But can you give me an example maybe of how that has shown up for you and, and what you did? to navigate mm-hmm. that from the space of liberation?
0: Oh, my gosh. It ha- I have a little Taurus boy.
1: <laughs> no <laughs> and, sense.
0: And I think one of the great benefits of, of unschooling and also one of the hardest things <laughs> as a parent is he is so incredibly sure of himself. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and <he's> so clear <laughs> on what he wants and what he does not want. <laughs> and, what he, you know, and that... It's a harder thing to navigate. So, a lot of times I'll be like, oh, he's really into this thing right now. I'm going to go find this book. And I found this book and I'm like, hey, do you want to check out this book? And he's like, you yeah, know.
1: <laughs> I hear you. And then we say, it's like a personal thing. We're like, but but I, yes. yeah, and it's like back up son. Like I will, I'll go get it or I'll ask you for it or daddy or whoever. Cause this is what I do. I go get what I need every time. Exactly, <laughs> exactly.
0: Or it's like, like there's definitely been moments where I'm like, oh, I found all these great activities. That that we should do, we should try this activity. And you know, and he's like, Mom, this um this might be fun for you. So, and I'm like, but wait, there's this great, we're gonna make ninja turtles. You love ninja turtles, and he's like, Yeah, not so much. so, so I think there's like a whole lot of ego, a lot of time. I should come on here, here baby. I'll push it under there for you. There it is. But I can't do it. Yes, you can. Not holding your arms. Can you slide down? There you go. Mm. Um but yeah, but and there, there so there are definitely times when things are a little more like they're, they're not quite as light as me, you know, me offering a book. There's some, you know, some moments definitely where I'm definitely coming from a place of fear around things like math, you know, sometimes and I have to catch myself or we'll start something like we started doing the Life of Fred series and he was really interested in it and he really enjoyed it for a while. And then I realized that I was taking all the fun out of it (laughs) because I was like, well, we have to do our Life of Fred today. We have to do our Life of Fred today. And oh, my gosh, you know, every day you're complaining about doing Life of Fred. And then I'm like, oh, I've taken all the joy out of this thing. And I'm making it about learning as opposed to about us like reading something really interested and doing something really cool together. And I've also basically I'm trying to force a curriculum on you that you're you're and you're resisting me and I'm not paying attention to the resistance and where the resistance is coming from. And so there's definitely been moments where I have to pull back and I and, and there's a lot of apologies, a lot of conversations where I'm like, you know what? I'm really sorry. Yeah. I'm really sorry about where I was at that moment. And I'm really sorry that I was pushing you into that. And if you're not, you know, into it anymore, like that's cool. You know, that's cool. Mm. Like, we, can, we can take a break. We can pause from that. We can stop doing it all together. If you feel like it, like we've kind of stopped and started on Japanese. And I realized that like, I like that there's this one particular style of like learning Japanese that I'm really into. And he's like, Yes, yeah, but I much prefer to do this way. I much prefer to, do, you know what I'm saying? And so, and I have to get out of his way. Because I'm trying to make you do something in a a particular way that's comfortable to me.
1: There you have it. Insights, personal perspectives on the fears and the fares of this particular type of self-directed education called unschooling. I hope that it was helpful to you and I hope that future episodes are even more helpful to you. And of course, I'm going to need your help with making sure that it is helpful because this format that I'm offering now is what makes sense in my head. So if you need something different, or if you want to have the conversation flow a different sort of way, if that's what you need, let me know. Because I want to put all of that into consideration as I offer this networking space for those of us who are already immersed in or curious about alternatives to systems, structures, and schools email me at she at com. Let me know if you're feeling it. Let me know what you want to hear. Let me know if you want to be a guest on the show and how you are connected to this movement. And also let me know what some of your fears are around this space too, so I can integrate that into the dialogue as well. Thank you for listening. Much love to you, Tamika, for vibing with me in this space. And I will talk to you all in a couple of weeks. Peace. Thank you for listening to another episode of Fair of the Free Child with Akila S. Richards. Find Akila online. She's on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Radical Selfie.